Recently, I have found myself thinking about winning. What does winning look like? What does it feel like? What is the heart of a champion, the life of a champion? I think that maybe it's it's extra sensitive to me in this moment. While we're recording, LeBron James, they call him the king. Uh, he just recently went out in the playoffs. I know that you, you're listening a couple weeks later. But as he sit in, in, sat in one of his final press conferences, he talked about how you know, he, he's, he's gone so far in this journey and he doesn't know how much farther he'll go. And I thought to myself, how lucky have we been to watch a champion in action? To watch somebody face adversity and fight through hard times and always come up in, in, in our hearts and in our minds in a place that, that blows us away, that leaves us with our, our mouths open saying, wow, this was incredible. And what's more beautiful than when LeBron does it is when my daughter does it, <laughs> is when my wife does it, is when, when normal, everyday human beings do extraordinary feats. That is what truly inspires the heart of an individual when you understand that we all have greatness within us. And so today, I, I think that you guys are going to find that, that the next person who speaks, she is about to give you the essence of greatness. Y you might call it the, the Olympic mindset, that she herself is an Olympian, but she's not one that, you, that would have ever predicted she'd become one. She's not somebody that the world placed on a pedestal when she was young and said, someday you'll walk into greatness. In fact, they told her the opposite. And when she finally stood in those places and spaces that are so sacred, she was the perfect example of humility and grace and perseverance when she stood there because she knew what it took to get there. So next, I want to bring to you Danielle Kettlewell, but we're just calling her DK. DK, welcome to the show. What an introduction. I just want to give you a standing ovation for that because that was amazing. I was like, wow, who is he talking about? Oh, my goodness. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly talking about you. Now, what, what the listeners don't know is that we actually had a conversation uh, about a month ago or so, mm -hmm. and we had some technical glitches. And I was excited, and Jason and I talked about it. We were like, we secretly were excited that we got to interview you again because the conversation we had before was so beautiful. And so could you just explain to everybody a little bit before you talk about who you are? Could you talk a little bit about what you've done? What's your journey? What do you, how do you help people? Could you just start mm. there? I always find this such an interesting question, you know, because you people ask, uh, you know, when you get into this space, people start to ask you, who who are you? Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, on surface level, okay, yes, I'm an Olympian. I am a fiance. I'm a daughter. I am an auntie. I am a speaker. I'm an author. I'm a coach. I'm an entrepreneur. I am someone who wants to make changes in the world. But also, you know, we are so much more than that. If we look at a spiritual and philosophical level, um, but to give you the long story short, you know, one of the the phrases that I kind of coined for myself is I call myself the unlikely Olympian, which is the name of my book and kind of the essence of my journey that led me to where I am today. Just like you touched on before, you know, it's not that I don't know if anyone people said I would never get anywhere, but I don't think anyone was paying attention. No one really cared. I wasn't anyone worth watching for such a long while. And then I had this incredible circumstance, which led me to going from an average person to an Olympian at competing at the 2016 Olympic Games for Australia, a dream wilder than I could have ever imagined in my greatest dreams. It was bigger than I could have dreamt of for myself. You know, and I think that it's really beautiful to see when we um, we listen to the the whisper of greatness that is inside of us. And I know that there would be people listening to this today and they're like, they, they feel that flame. You know, maybe no one is watching you, but you feel that there's something special and important in you. And, and there is. And following and seeing where life gives you the opportunity to step into your greatness, because you will be given the opportunities. You just have to be willing to see them. And so Oof. that's a little bit of an essence of who I am. She asked, do you listen to the whisper of greatness on the inside of you? <laughs> Ooh, we could just stop right there and just wait, Jason. Oh, oh I wish my hand wasn't back here because Jason should have went on camera there. He was dancing in the background. I don't know what that <laughs> shimmy move was, do was he was doing. It was great. I'm sorry. If you guys are just listening, just know that Jason was really excited about that answer. Um, oh, you said so much with that. And so 
One of the things that I heard you say was that you weren't sure that you were worthwhile to watch. And I don't know that that's true either, because at the end, we're all worthwhile to yeah. watch. It's just that life almost trains us that you have to meet certain criteria for people to pay attention, right? And so sometimes greatness is, is right in your stead. It's right in your presence. And you'll miss it because the person is disqualified from your attention and from your presence and from your mindfulness. So how how did you how did you go through and endure that process? I've read a little bit of your book and it was incredibly powerful. I, I would love for you to kind of explain some of that journey to everybody because I want them to hear it. Um, when they hear that you were an Olympian, then it makes it just sound like, oh, okay, well, you were like you were always on the cusp of being an Olympian and then you became an Olympian and there you go. But your story is actually way different than that. Uh, so could you take us to a little bit of how you became Olympian and what was that process for you? Absolutely. One of the things I think people do so often is they hear someone that has achieved something, whether it be an Olympian or an author or a president or a politician or someone in business, and we automatically like disqualify ourselves from like being in the, the room with that. And and that's what I used to do. I used to think that I would, you know, I, I didn't think that I would actually create greatness within myself. I wanted to, but I didn't know how. And mm -hmm. so the journey really started back when I was eight, the little old girl of eight years old. And, and I'm the youngest of five children. Um, and my siblings are quite a lot older than me. So I kind of grew up like an only child and my mom was trying to keep me busy. Um, my parents are from Australia and I was born in Canada. So Unfortunately, I don't have the cool Australian accent, which I've been like <laughs> pegging for my whole life, but it's not there yet. Um, and I was born in Canada and my mom, you know, wanted to keep me occupied and keep me busy. They grew up in Australia. So everyone in Australia knows how to swim. Um, and I love gymnastics and dance like any little girl, but I'm like way too tall to be a gymnast. I'm, I'm five foot nine. Um, and so she heard that, about sorry, this. I got to stop you. How does that feel to be that tall? I'm, <laughs> I'm five, six and I, I got to stand on my tippy toes for everything. I always need like a step stool. It's a really sad life. What's it like to be five nine? Uh, it's really great to be able to reach things on the top covered, but you know, my whole life I wanted to be short. So it's always funny how we like want what we don't have. Of course. Um, but then it was great for the sport of synchronized swimming because being relatively tall, like at my height, it is a good thing. Like I have quite long legs. And so, you know, when my mom chucked me in this sport, it was kind of one of those things is like, you're doing this, you know, don't complain, show up, <laughs> go and do it. And I was kind of like, oh, you know, you know, like little kids are when your parents make you do something. You're like, okay, I'm going to go do this. Didn't really love it at first. I was really, 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 really shy when I was small. Um, and, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't really speak to anyone. I really kept to myself. So being in a group with other girls made me really intimidating. Um, but after a few years, I stuck with it. And all of a sudden, I fell in love with this magical sport that not a lot of people know much about, right? We got to dance in the water. We got to be part of a team. I got to, as a little girl, wear sparkly bathing suits and wear makeups at competitions. <laughs> but more than that, as I started to grow older and become a teenager, I started to realize how gratifying it was to work towards a common goal, how amazing it was to be able to do a sport that so many people have no even close capacity to be able to do anything like it. You know, anyone can go on a basketball court and shoot a hoop, but you can't even do anything close to synchronized swimming if you don't have any of the basics, right? Yeah, and so absolutely. being able to do all of this amazing stuff and be in this fantastical sport really started to sweep me up. But one of the things that I was very aware of is that I wasn't good at it. I was the girl that had a great attitude. I was the girl that was willing to work hard. I was willing to be a great team player. I didn't complain, but I didn't have natural talent. Just like in every single sport, there are markers that make you naturally talented. You know, whether it be that you're really fast naturally or you have a great shot, you have great aim. You know, in our sport, it's flexibility, it's grace, um, it's <laughs> levels of like your toe point and, and things such as that. I didn't have any of those. I wasn't flexible. I'm not really that graceful. Um, and, you know, I, there was so much that I had to work on. And so I went through my journey through high school of doing this sport and I was kind coming at the last of my team. You know, we also get individually ranked as well as um, being, you know, competing as a team. And I was always at the bottom. And at the same time, I would struggle with 
feeling good in my body. I was incredibly self-conscious. Um, I struggled with my food habits at the time. I was binging. So even though I was an athlete and I was, you know, working out and I was training after school when I was like 15 hours a week, I was also binging food because I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. I didn't have a way to deal with my emotions. So I would stuff it down. And so when I got to year 12, and I was able to, you know, achieve my wildest dream at the time, which was go to Canadian national championships. I thought that was the peak of my career, but I went as a reserve, right? Mm. Like I was benched basically, <laughs> right? I was the girl that just got right. to travel with the team um, and be there for the experience. Mm-hmm. But that was, I thought that was it. I remember at that time I was sitting at the pool. I was in uh, PEI, if you, if, <laughs> Prince Edward Island in Canada. It's oh, like a okay, province. Okay. Um, and I, that's I, where I was, was going to pretend and start shaking my head. Yes, like, but yeah, somebody you? was going to be watching on YouTube like he don't know what he don't know (laughs) it's a really really small province um and like probably like the same size as like Washington DC it's like a little um island and I remember sitting there and thinking you know this is it you know I was 17 years old at the time I was like this is the peak of my sport like it's all over now I have to walk away there's nowhere else for me to go and I remember feeling really sad at that point and I remember you know there was part of me that wished that I could do something greater. I remember watching the Canadian national team, but I just immediately counted myself out and I never would have expected, you know, that was in 2010. I would have never, ever expected my wildest dreams that six years later I'd be competing at the Olympic games. It just didn't even seem in the world, in the galaxy of possibilities. And so my life started to take a different trajectory. I retired from sport. I say, quote unquote, I mean, I was 18 years old. Um, at the time, I stayed involved. I was coaching. I was teaching little girls how to swim. I was, I was going to university. I was kind of going down this path that, you know, you were told, like, go to college, you know, get a degree. Um, and I uh, stayed involved because it was really fun for me. You know, I, I did it because I was passionate about it. And I think that's really important for every, you know, this is a common theme that I always bring up. Do something in your life that lights you up. Stay involved in the things that light you up. Because so often, especially when we start to become adults, we, we prioritize all the things that, you know, are smart or make us money or provide for our family. But there is, some, there is something inside of us that gets so lit up when we're doing things that excite us. And so for me, that was continuing to stay participating in my sport, even though it wasn't, um, you know, at a competitive level. And there was one day in 2013 where I was training with my teammates. And this is when we were doing something called highlights and synchronized swimming. Highlights and synchronized swimming is basically where we build human pyramids underneath the water. And we all egg beat her up to the surface. And we create a spring and someone jumps off the top. And this is all without touching the bottom of the pool. And then does a flip and then lands in the water. And so we were doing that one day. My teammate was jumping off of my shoulders. And she went up and she slipped and she came straight down on my head. And keep in mind, this isn't like football, right? We don't have anything. We have yeah, a bathing cap. On your head. We've got nothing. And so imagine a human being falling on your head, right? Like it's no matter how light they are, that that creates some impact. Yeah. And so my teammates pulled me up out of the water and I used to kind of, you know, like brush it off was tough. Um, and I felt okay. But when I was driving home that evening, I started to feel this really bad pain behind my eye. I had my stomach in knots and feeling really nauseous. And I had a midterm the next day that I was trying to study for. And I remember looking at the words on the paper. And I, even though I knew it was English, I had no idea what it said. I went to the doctor the next day and I was diagnosed with a concussion. Luckily, the awareness around concussions has changed a lot in the last 10 years. But even still, we have this kind of dialogue. Oh, they're fine, right? They just have a concussion, right? They didn't break their neck. They're still... But I liken it to mental health, right? You look fine. You don't have any cuts or scrapes. You don't have stitches. You're not bleeding, but something's not right in your mind. And the only way to, at this time, like even still, concussions baffle doctors because the only way to recover from a concussion is to lie in a dark room and to not do anything. And a side effect of concussions is depression. And you can imagine why someone would feel depressed, right? You cannot do anything. You cannot look at screens. You cannot really do activities. You cannot read. You can't watch TV. You can't look at your phone. Nothing. 
And so that was a moment that I had in my life, and this is 10 years ago now, where, and we have all had these moments where we shake our fists at the world. We ask, why is this happening to me? What did I do, right? Like, why? Why me? Like, you know, like, am I a bad person? Did I create this karma? Has something happened in my life? And, you know, it was looking back in hindsight now, it was a moment where the world, the universe, God put me down and it was like, okay. Maybe you're not on the right path, but I want you to reevaluate where you That's are. Good. And I'm going to lie you down in a dark room and make you think about it because you have nothing else to do. And that was the time when I started meditating. And, you know, back then I was so busy. I was so afraid of myself that I kept myself so busy. And so I had to start facing myself. I had to start facing my mind. I had to start facing my thoughts. And that was challenging but powerful. And now it has so sprinkled into what I do. But during this concussion, it was I it was over my 21st birthday. I was planning to have this big party. None of that happened, right? Couldn't do any of that. And the day after my 21st birthday, I was on the phone with a friend of mine. Um, she was also a past teammate of mine. And bizarrely enough, she also had dual citizenship, Australian-Canadian citizenship. And when we were on the phone, she got a Facebook message from the assistant national team coach of the Australian Synchronized Swimming Team. It's a very small world. That coach used to work in Vancouver, where we are from. And she reached out to her and said, hey, I know that you've always wanted to compete at a higher level. This is 2013 at the time. The Australian team kind of all folded after the 2012 Olympics. We're building up the team again. Is there any chance you'd want to come over to Australia and try out for the national team? We're trying to qualify them for the Rio Olympic Games in 2016. And as a friend, right, this is her opportunity. As a friend, I was saying to her, like, oh, my God, this is amazing. you got to go for it. Like, this is your thing. We, I cheered her on. And I, and I always use this as such a beautiful example because we do this for our friends, right? Our friends get the opportunity. We say, go for it. You got this. I believe in you. I'm cheering you on. We get the opportunity and we go, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like too much. Who am I to do it? Right? And so after about 15, 20 minutes of me cheering her on and saying that she's got to do it, she looks at me. She goes, well, Danielle, like, look, you you could do it too. Like, your your parents are Aussie. You did synchronized swimming. Uh, you have you have every capability. You you qualify, right? You have like the basic qualifications. And and I like looked at her. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, she was always better than me when we were training. She was always like one of the top girls on the team, and I wasn't. And much like on top of that, I was also concussed. You know, <laughs> and I just thought, like, are you like what? Like, there's just no way. But that one phrase that she said just opened a bit of a portal in my mind and allowed me to ask this, myself this question. Well, what if, Danielle? What if? What if you did try? You have a laundry list of things stacked against you. It is as impossible as it could get, basically, for any human being, right? I qualify. I have, this, I have the passport. I do the sport. But it is challenging, who do you think you are to do this, Danielle? Why, like, why do you even think that it's possible for you? This is all that was going through my head. But then part of me was like, well, what if? What if I tried? What if I just went for it? And I had the, you know, made this decision in this moment that I didn't want to live with regrets. Mm. I was 21 years old at the time, but I was pretty, pretty like an old soul. I didn't want to live with regrets because I see, and even still, so many people go through their life and they have regrets, right? Of something that they wish that they said or something that they wish that they did or something that they were brave enough to take action on. And even though I was terrified of people judging me, I was terrified of failing. I was terrified of falling flat on my face. I was terrified of what people were going to think of me. Who the heck was I? I was never good enough. I was the chubby girl on the bench that no one expected anything of. But I thought I would rather try and fail than always wonder who I could have been if I was brave enough. I want to I want to pause you right there. Because this is a moment that you're in in this story that could really change somebody's life. You you asked a question about a minute ago and it just resonated so heavy in my spirit. You said Danielle, who do you think you are? And there is this moment where we find ourselves asking that question of ourselves and never researching the answer. Mm. Who do you think you are? Oh, I don't really know who I am. <laughs> what would happen if I went and tried to find out? 
Mm-hmm. If I tried to seek out my greatness, if I tried to find the brilliance within me, if I tried to find out that thing that makes me me completely, mm-hmm. uniquely, wonderfully me, right? That many times we ask the question, who do you think we are? And then we assume the answer is that I'm a failure or that I'm a person who is disqualified or that I'm a person who never will be able to, to move in that way. You asked the question, And then you gave an answer that forced you or allowed you to find out who you are in ways you never would have. Mm. The very path you're on, the way that you help people, now you're traveling around the world making a difference for people, which is incredible. You never would have found those things and those ways to help people if you wouldn't have got the answer of who you are. Mm. And just like you said at the beginning, right, you asked, who am I? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it all loops back. You know, and I think that we all have these moments in our life when we have thoughts come in, whether it be to go after an opportunity, whether it be a job opportunity or move to a different city or, you know, reach out and do something you've always wanted to do. We think, who am I? And, and you know, and who are you not to? right? Anyone that has done anything incredible in this life also has just been an average person. No one was born with the golden touch. We are all born worthy and equal. And our journey in life is to remember that, you know, and one of my favorite quotes, you might've heard this before, but I want to read it out to you because this has been something I've been really living my life around more lately. Um, but it resonates in that part of the story. It's this, it's actually from Marianne Williamson. And most of us have heard the beginning of it, but most of us haven't heard the whole thing. And it says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us most. That's usually where the people end. But this is the most beautiful part. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We are born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It is in everyone. And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And that is, I think, the most important part. Who are we not? You know, we are a child of God. We are a child of the universe, of creator, source, whatever it is, the world that you, the word that you want to use. But we all have that inside of us, right? And our going after our dream, our goal, our light, whatever it is that we're wanting to pursue, like that lights us up in a way that makes a ripple effect in the world. And, you know, you know, I'm sure as people may listen to me and you speak or other people that you have been in the presence of, when you are around someone that is so deeply passionate about what they do, whether it be the bus driver that is so cheerful, that literally greets everyone that makes you so happy, or the teacher that loves their job, when people are in the thing that lights them up, that makes a ripple in the world. And so I truly believe, especially in this day and age with technology, all of the simple things that we don't have to worry about are being taken away. But that is so we have permission to do more of the things that light us up. But in the process of that, we have to remember we are worthy because so many people hold them back because they think and they ask themselves, who am I to do this? Or I'm not good enough to make this possible. And our journey in this life is to remember that we have always been good enough. So how do you... And I and I do eventually. I want them to hear the the end of your story. But the, I just I love that we're here because yeah, this is hope rising, right? How do you remind yourself of that? Because you and I and Jason and and every listener, we have moments where we wake up on Wednesday, we feel worthy, we feel purpose and passion and all those things, and then you wake up on Thursday and you go, uh, I'm not so sure. How do you get that back? And, and, and how do you get back to that presence and that mindful place? What, what is your process to get there? Mm. This was a really powerful thing for me to realize. It's something that, I mean, schooling has changed since I've left, but <laughs> they didn't teach us in school, right? And, and this is one of the most powerful things. I, when I realized this, I was like, why is not everyone told, up, told this? Not all of the thoughts that go through your head are true. Say that one more time. Not all of the thoughts that go through your head are true. 
And so many of us live our life thinking that our thoughts are our truth. And the one thing that is really fascinating about being a human being in this time is that we have been given these brains that have developed biologically, you know, for thousands of years. And we are living, we all live a pretty cushy life now, but thousands and thousands of years ago, we had to worry about the saber-toothed tiger and the mammoth that was going to eat us. And so our brain is wired to keep us safe and to keep us small. It is doing that because it loves us. Thank you, brain. But in this modern day and age, when we have big things that we're wanting to do, whether it be going after a dream or starting a podcast or speaking on stage or writing a book, your mind, your brain thinks, oh, fear. Your, then your biological you know, caveman brain goes, oh, fear means bad. I'm going to keep myself small. Let's stay small. And so I really believe that our job in this life is to realize that we are a soul living a human experience, but we also have to figure out how to rework this brain in alignment with our, what our soul wants to do, what, what our soul is here to pursue in this world. And so that, that is realizing that some days we're going to wake up and there's going to be crappy thoughts that go through our head. There's going to be moments where we don't feel that great, where where we have moments where we are maybe unkind to ourselves or our body or our life or our worth or our accomplishments, where we beat ourselves up. And the most important thing to know is, first of all, those thought, the, the thoughts aren't true, right? We have to separate our thoughts from our truth and our thoughts from ourself because people think, because I think the thoughts and I am the thoughts. You know, this was actually, I listened to this on Oprah and this blew my mind. <laughs> I love Oprah. Um, I think. Shout yeah, out to Oprah. You have an open invitation. Oh, Anytime you want to come on Hope Rising, Oprah, you come on. Yes. Oh, come on, Oprah. We're come ready on, Oprah. for you. Um, I remember hearing this from Oprah and she was saying how she went to India and she was speaking with a I believe it was like a meditation guru or something like that. And, you know, we all hear this, our thoughts aren't true. You know, we are the observer of our thoughts, but what does that mean? So many people are like, what does that actually mean? And so her, this guru asked her to go and look at the tree and said, okay, look at this tree. Now think about the tree. And then he asked her, okay, now think about a triangle. Think about a triangle. And then think about a flower. And then he said to Oprah, just so you thought about the tree, the triangle and the flower, does that mean that you are a tree? because you thought about the tree? Does that mean that you are a triangle because you thought about a triangle? Does it mean you are a flower because you thought about a flower? You're thinking about those things. So there's an observer that is seeing that you're thinking about the tree. But because you think about a tree doesn't mean that you are a tree. If you think the thought, I am not worthy, I suck, I'm a bad person today, it doesn't mean that you are that. You don't have to attach your mind with that thought. And oh my goodness, that takes practice and time. Absolutely no one's perfect. It sure does. But that is so important for us to realize. And I think allowing ourselves to move through those emotions, if you have those emotions coming up on a day where you're not feeling like a hot tamale, you have to allow yourself to feel that. So many of us haven't actually been taught how to feel our feelings or to feel our emotions. It's okay for you to be sad right? We live in a world that doesn't, you know, more now it, it's getting better. But for the most part, what were we told when we were growing up? Stop crying, right? It's okay for you to be sad. It's okay for you to cry. This human experience is about feeling the entire spectrum of emotions. And emotion is energy in motion, energy in motion. But what do most of us do when we feel an emotion? We stuff it down. We, we put the lid on. Mm -hmm. We say we don't want to talk about it. We fill it with social media. We fill it with food. We fill it with alcohol. We fill it with things so we don't have to feel it. But instead of filling it, what if we feel it? And when we feel it, we move through it. And then we get back to our equilibrium, which is that level of joy which is that level. And, you know, for me as well, it is connecting and realizing none of this work makes sense to me if I don't believe in something greater. It all is about also believing in something greater, God, universe, creator, source, whatever that is, right? But I also believe that this human experience is about us learning lessons and us growing as a soul. And so we get to kind of have that duality of like, let's figure out why I'm going through this. Let's feel these emotions. And then also understand that we have to trust this process, that there's something much bigger than us guiding us right now. And that when we believe and lean into the support of love, of God, of whatever that is for us, we will be okay. We will be okay. And many people, the reason that they never get to a place of being okay is that they never acknowledge when they're not okay. 
the, the greatest thing that keeps people from getting to a place of resolution, of, of personal evolution and, and true health and stability is that it requires you to face the truth, deal with the truth, and also to interact with lies. Uh, I love what you just said. I, I, it's, it's always really controversial every time I say this, and I've said this in many rooms, and you see everybody start to get real uncomfortable because I always say, I hate the saying, live your truth. And the reason that I say that I hate it is because it is often taught to people who have never been taught how to interact with the truth. So if I tell you, live your truth, but your truth is based on lies and deception that your mind has taught you because mom said something to you when you were five and dad said something repeated to you when you were seven and all these things have happened and it's gone unchanged and unchallenged. And on and unhealed from and worked on, then now you believe lies as your truth. And I'm supposed to tell you to go live it? No, don't live that truth. Get healthy. Find the truth, right? The truth is that we both have the have the ability to walk in the fullness of our purpose, to find out what that purpose is. We both can be change makers, different countries, different races, different ages, but we both have gifts within us, talents within us. We're both worthy of everything that God says we are, right? Mm -hmm. And so that is the truth. My brain telling me I'm unworthy is my truth. And I, that's an unacceptable truth until I correct it, <laughs> interact with it, improve on it and get past it. Then I can live my truth, right? So 100%. your truth must be rooted in the truth. That's my my greatest thing. I don't care. Look, put something in the comments, get mad at me. I don't care. <laughs> don't live your truth unless yeah. you know what the truth is. And if you And if not, explore the truth. I think that's so important. Go explore the truth. What is the truth? And I want and I do want to circle back because we were learning how you learned the truth of yourself, right? So you get this invitation. And it, actually the invitation didn't even go to you. It went to your it was, friend. It wasn't really for me. It wasn't even for you. <laughs> you you just you just a, a little girl sitting in the dark with a concussion, yeah. right? <laughs> who got invited to go on a trip anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and you convince yourself, you know what? I'm doing it. So how do you get to that moment from that moment to the, to the incredible accomplishment that you, that you mm. walked out in your life? Yeah. You know, and, and one of the things that in you asking that question, it brought this up in me is, you know, it wasn't actually really even offered to me. Um, and recently, um, my fiance and I ran a retreat in Bali, an empowerment retreat. And one of the things that we said to the, the ladies the entire time was take up space, take up space. You're allowed to take up space, right? We live in a world that doesn't really let us know that. And in that, I reflecting back on what you were saying before that when you're living your true truth, right? Beyond all of the crap that we have been told brought when we're brought up, but what is now our truth. I also want to remind people, because sometimes when we start to hear this, one of the biggest things that I hear that comes into people's minds is, well, people are already doing it. There's already too many people out there. And I completely disagree because there's enough space for us all. Come on. Right? <laughs> there's enough space for us all. And the, why we need more people living in their true truth is because there is going to be a certain frequency that somebody says about their own story that's going to hit a certain amount of people, but then it's not going to resonate with other people. And that's why we need more people sh sharing their true authentic messages of love because there's enough, there's 8 billion people in this world right? And you, if you even have a ripple effect on a hundred thousand or a million of those people, your story is going to resonate with certain people in different ways. There's going to be some people that might resonate more with me or, than you or you than me or somebody else than both of us. But we all need to go out and speak what is true and it, within our own passion and our own life and take up that space, right? Because unless you're around people like us that start telling you to take up the space, we're, we don't always live in a society which says that, right? And one of the things that, you know, even you just made me realize is like, I, I took that opportunity. It wasn't even necessarily handed to me. It wasn't say, hey, Danielle, would you like to too? But I reached out and I was like, what if I could do this too? Come How on. would you feel about this too, right? And that's powerful because we start to like claim 
you know, what, what we believe could be ours. And one of the things that I did in that moment is I realized that I would rather try and fail than always wonder what if. And even though so many people ask me like, you know, how did you overcome the fear of judgment? How did you overcome the fear of failure? And one of the things that I explain to people is that I think people forget that fear is going to be within our life. And I say to people, you have to choose a cup, right? You're going to have the cup, the fear of judgment, the fear of failure, the fear of what other people think, or you're going to have the fear of regret. Which cup do you want to choose? You have to live your life taking one of them. You have to take one of the fears. And I realized I didn't want to live with the fear of regret. And so I was going to take the fear of maybe people will judge me. Maybe people, maybe I will fail. Maybe people will say things about me, but I'm going to walk in my truth anyways. And I'm going to go after what lights me up. And so after, you know, realizing that I wanted to take this opportunity and I really wanted to dive in, I remember I was staying with my parents at the time and I, I went into their room and bless their cotton socks. They're beautiful human beings. I am very grateful for my parents, but you can imagine, right? Their daughter's been concussed and depressed in the past month and she comes in like, I want to go to the Olympics. They'd be like, <laughs> he uh, thought did you, you hit- lost your mind. That's yeah, exactly you hit your head again. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, and because it was so ridiculous and ludicrous, you know, like where I was in the world and who, where my circumstances was and what I was choosing to go after. But what it also gave me, it was it gave me a passion and a fire because I felt like the world had kind of taken the ground under my feet. I had lost my drive in life. And I, it also, I realized it was everything that I didn't know that I was asking for. I wasn't passionate about the life that I was living before. I was going down a path where I thought that's what I was supposed to do, right? So many of us walk down these paths where, well, I was, I'm supposed to go to college and I'm supposed to take the job and I'm supposed to do this thing, but we don't actually want to. And I realized that this was my moment, even though I was terrified maybe I could jump and run with it. And so I kicked my concussion recovery into high gear. Within six weeks from that moment, I was on a plane to Perth, Australia, where I had never been before. I didn't know anyone there. And I went to the first national team trial camp in 2014. And in that camp, there were 16 women that were trialing for the Australian national team. And I sucked. I was like at the bottom of the team. I was not good. But I also realized in that moment, I had a one in 16 chance. And that was a lot better odds than a less than 1% than what I thought I had before. Say that one more time. Somebody else needs to hear that. Say that again. (laughs) Say that again. I realized that I had a one in 16 chance, but I also had a one in 16 chance. right? And I also could claim that. I also could improve. And one of the things that I could control even though I wasn't the most talented, I could control my mind. I could control my work ethic. I could control my attitude. And I decided that I might not be the most talented athlete, but I'm going to be the best athlete in every other area. And so within six months of you know the concussion, I had officially moved to Australia. I packed up all my things into two suitcases. I dropped out of university. I moved across the world on like a faith, hope, and a win. And you know what's crazy? It was like from about today, it was about nine years ago today that I landed in Perth, Australia, like to live there. And I I think back now, I'm like, I was 21. I moved across the world. I didn't know anyone. I was so audacious, Uh, you know, but I was so driven and set on that dream. And I was also terrified, you know, at the same time. But I was driven to work on my mind. I was driven to put myself in the environment with the people that were doing the things. You know, I couldn't be part of the national team of Australia living in Canada. Like, it wasn't going to work. You need to train with the team. Like, we all know that, right? But I think that this is such an important point because people forget this, that it is very easy for us to give on, up on ourselves when we're in our own environment. And this is why you need to put yourself in the places with the people that are going to believe in you and cheer you on and that are doing the things that you want to do. Because on the days when you cannot show up for yourself, you will show up for them and you will show up for the community because we are actually very quick to give up on ourselves. But when we have a deeper why, whether that be a team, whether that be a family, whether that be your children, whether that be a community, you will always get up for them you will get up for them. And so on the days where I didn't have the strength to do it for myself, on the days where I was exhausted, on the days where I was like broke because I had like a tin can that me and my ex-boyfriend would like open because I wasn't paid as an athlete and I had to work on top of everything and have to figure out the finances of everything. And it was stressful and I was exhausted. I realized that I was there to do it for myself. I was also there to do it for my team. And I was there to do it for this dream. 
And so this, I, what happened when I moved to Australia is I started to improve. I started to get better. I started to surpass my friend of mine that I moved there, you know, with because I was working on my mind. And this is what is so powerful. We have also all been gifted a mind and our mind has this huge capacity for growth and this huge capacity for expansion. And when we are actually willing to work on it, we can change our life. We can absolutely change our life. And so I went from the bottom of the team and I started improving and I started getting better and I actually made it on the squad of eight. In 2015, we competed against New Zealand and we qualified our country for the spot of the 2016 Olympic Games. But what a lot of people don't actually know is that even though you can qualify your country for the games, you actually have to individually qualify yourself. Every athlete has to individually qualify themselves for the Olympics. And so all of a sudden I went from a team to a competing for myself against my teammates. In that moment, I also realized that there was only so many hours in the day. We all train together. You know, we're all doing the same thing that like, what can I do differently? How can I be better? And for me, again, that was still working on my mind. I would journal every single day. I would write down, what can I improve? What can I do better? Every single day, I would be reflecting on how I could grow, how I could use the things that were my weaknesses and improve them and also use the things that were my strengths and turn the light on. And as I was leading up into April 2016, when we're having our Olympic team trials, and that was the moment, right? All of a sudden, my family starts believing in, in me and they're like, after a couple of years, being like, I don't know, she's a little bit crazy. They're like, knew you could make it. Yeah. They're like, oh my God, you're like going, like they're booking their tickets to the Olympics. You know, the pressure is real. Right. And I was having this moment where I can't, I, a week before the Olympic team trials, I sat there in my bed and I was having a moment where I was really thinking about it. Right. It's all well and good to say like, oh yeah, I might, I could try and fail. But like when you're actually faced with the possibility, well, what if I do fail? What if I've gone off to this entire thing? What if I've uprooted my entire life for the past two years? What if I've gone into massive debt over the past few years? What if I've sacrificed literally everything and I do fail? And I had a moment and it really felt like an epiphany to me at that time where I realized that it was never actually about the Olympics. It was never about making the Olympic team. It was about proving to myself that I was good enough. And it was about realizing that that journey was my journey to realizing that I was always worthy. Whether I actually got the physical thing of making the Olympics or not, I could be proud of myself. And I was good enough. And I didn't need an Olympics to tell me that. That is and so then good. in that moment, you know, I went into Olympic team trials and I had my best swims ever. And keeping in mind, I was at the bottom of the team like a year and a half, two years earlier. When I trialed for the Olympic team, I was number four. Amazing. <laughs> That is so incredible. And it's it's so funny because I had the moment about four minutes ago while you were talking and you were talking about, you know, you're in the middle of the grind and you're doing this work and you're and you said, and and I'm getting up for my teammates and I'm getting up for myself. And if I can't get up for them, then I'll get up. And I thought to myself, you weren't actually doing it for any of those people. You were getting up for all the people you serve now. Mm. That like life is so grand. So yeah. amazing and incredible that what yeah. we don't realize in the midst of the trial and the test is that on the other side of the test is the testimony that's meant for somebody else. Mm. How many people are you helping right now? I, I saw some of the pictures. The people, they'll, they'll see some of the pictures as they're watching if they're watching on YouTube, right? You are traveling around the world doing retreats. You, you're, you're, doing, uh, you're online. Every couple of days I see you online. And if I jump inside of the live, there's a whole bunch of people and they're receiving wisdom they're receiving knowledge they're just they're getting hope poured on them no you were getting up for them mm, it was yeah. so much bigger than the moment that you thought it was and and what does that say to the people who are listening when they're in the midst of their trial and their test you you're just trying to get up for your husband or for your wife or for your kid no it's bigger than that mm. because your kid is watching you and and these are seeds <laughs> You know, your coworkers are what those are seeds and the seeds will come up and they'll, and they'll be vegetation for somebody else to eat. You know, mm -hmm. they, that's, it's that ripple that you keep talking about. And I just, I just wanted you to hear that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even just about them. You were getting up for the people right now who are listening to you, whose lives are changing. That's so true. 
It is so true. And I think about that sometimes of like, you know, the courage that I had to go on that journey and, mm-hmm. and the impact that I actually have made now, you know, and, and I'm, I'm so grateful because I think this is the beautiful synchronicity of it all. I remember when I was like 17, 18 years old, I said that all I wanted to do when I grew up was be a motivational speaker, but I had nothing to speak about. And then God threw me this journey and he's like, okay, you want to be motivational? I'm going to give you something. Right. And so, and that's something that I, I think that, you know, to all of the people listening that are either leaders or aspiring leaders, it's like, you got to do it yourself first, right? You have to be the embodiment of what you speak about number one. And then from that, you will make such a greater ripple in that, you know, in whatever that may be. And it's because I'm not just speaking, you know, about this because I'm just some Joe Blow on the street that hasn't done anything. And again, Joe Blow on the street can still do amazing things. Absolutely. Because we all have our crosses to carry and we all have our mountains to climb. Right. But I am somebody that has done something incredible that I'm so proud of. And now I'm making that ripple. And, and, you know, I say that to some of my, because I've helped so many of my clients create beautiful transformation that they are stepping to leadership as well you know, and, and saying to them, like, there's going to be a day where someone reaches out to you and says that you have saved their life. And that will be the most beautiful day you could ever have asked for in the world, because there's nothing greater than contribution in this world. There's nothing greater than helping people. Right. And I think every single human that, you know, when you get to human beings that, you know, let's say that they're out of, you know, their own suffering, because I do believe that there's a level of, you know, if we think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we need to take care of ourselves first. But then after we've taken care of ourselves, if you ask human beings, you know, deeply what they want to do, if we take away money, if we take away time, people want to help people. Like that's our essence of human beings. We want to help people in some way, shape or form, whether it be, you know, through motivation or spirituality or food or gardening or art or teaching or whatever it may be. Like, and that's what I am so inspired by as well. Like my clients inspire me, people like you inspire me because like, you know, I think that we have this duality, you know, if we watch the news, we're just shown all of the horrible things that are happening in the world. But I choose to see the light. I choose to see that there are so many incredible people doing amazing things in this world. And that gives me hope. You know, that truly gives me hope to move forward. So, so you end up number four four. uh, and you end up at the Olympics and there is, there is a photo that I'm going to show everybody. And I I remember I messaged you the first time I saw it. I was, I was reading um, part of your book. And there is this photo of you during the opening ceremony. Yeah. And it is pure joy. Like, like your eyes are just about as wide as a person's eyes can be. You look like you're about six years old and somebody's about to give you a lollipop and a teddy bear. Like, it's like that huge smile. Yeah. And so I, they would be remiss. We spent all this time with you telling the story. And so you get to the Olympics What is it like as you enter in in, into your dreams and you get to live out your dreams? What was that like for you? It felt like a movie. I felt like I was living a movie. And there was moments of normalcy, right? Because one of the crazy things is like when you go to an Olympics as an athlete, you are there to do a job. You're there to compete for your country and you're there to do the best that you possibly can do. And so there was a little bit of, you know, yeah, let's get down to business. But then there was moments just like that picture, like you said, like at the opening ceremony where it was absolutely mind-blowing. I thought that I was living in some virtual reality that I had created, but this was my real life. I was actually there. You know, and for me, I have always been an Olympic lover. I think that, you know, maybe there's something in me that I knew deep down I would go. I, I don't know. But whenever I've watched the Olympic opening ceremonies my whole life, I would always cry when I saw all the athletes coming out because I would think about what it actually took every single one of those human beings to get there, the sacrifices that they made, the choices that they made to get up and keep going every single day. And I would cry and cry and cry. And I had a realization where I was like, that's going to be me. I'm going to be walking in the Olympic opening ceremonies. And, and it was a moment where I got to take it all in. You know, I remember we were standing outside of the stadium and there's like a hundred thousand people in the stadium, right? So the the energy is like palpable, right? Like you can feel (laughs) the vibration and there's also a show going on at the same time, right? Because there's all this, you know, the incredible opening ceremonies that they orchestrate. And so you walk in based on alphabetical order in your countries, Australia, 
of, of course, is at the beginning. And so me and my teammates all had this idea. We're like, we're going to get on TV. So at the time, you know, we had all, we had all family all around the world, you know, watching, and we decided to like move our way up to like the front line um, at, of, and behind the flag bearer. And then we walked down this dark um, like hallway, alleyway, galley before you walk into the, the opening of the opening ceremony. And in that galley, Ira was holding my teammate's hand and the Aussie team, there's, I don't know if you know the Aussie team's chant, but they go, Aussie, 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 oi, 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 Aussie, oi, Aussie, oi. And so that's kind of like the, like the heartbeat of the Australian team. And they were chanting that. And I was thinking about all of the moments, right? All of the moments where I wanted to give up, all of the moments where I took a chance, all of the moments that were hard, all of the moments where I would just sit down and cry because I was exhausted. And that little girl who never thought she would ever be good enough had made it to the Olympic games. And as I walked through the darkness, it really felt like a metaphorical journey of the darkness that I had walked through. And then I stepped into the stage into the light of the stadium. And I really felt like in that moment, I had become an Olympian. I hadn't yet competed, but I felt like I became an Olympian. And funny enough, I was on the front page of the Australian newspaper the next day um, around the country and I was on TV and it was just an extraordinary experience. And then competing was incredible as well, but completely different because we were also there to do a job. We were there to do the best that we could possibly do. And you almost have to create this new level of normal. And this is what I talk, talk to people about, you know, when we speak about if you're wanting to, you know, change your life in some sense, if you're wanting to increase your wealth or your health or your, or your relationship is like, you have to change what is normal to you, you know? And so, so often we think, you know, oh, well, if people are doing it at that level, you know, that that's amazing. Like I could never be there, but I was at the Olympic games around people that were wearing gold medals around TV cameras and royalty and dignitaries and politicians and prime ministers and presidents. And it just all had to be normal. And that was kind of a new way that I regulated my nervous system at that level and was able to actually compete in a stadium with thousands of people and in front of millions of people. I think our, our, our swim on YouTube, if you Google it, has like 4.4 million views, right? Is you have to create a new level of what is normal for you. But then on the other side of when I competed, I remember standing up there on stage and the entire swim went by so fast, you know, and I swam two routines, a four minute routine and the three minute routine. And so that's about seven minutes. We think of someone like Usain Bolt. He, he runs for 10 seconds, ten, right? 10 seconds. Yep. 10 seconds. And it is literally over like that because you're so in the zone that you're, you, you cannot have a moment when you're competing of like, let's just like take this all in of how amazing it is. No, like you're there to do a job. Right. And realizing how quick it was when I was standing on the stage, both times afterwards, it was another deepening of the realization that it was really about the journey of who I became in that process. Because if you only gave me those seven minutes if you only said, okay, you don't get any of the journey, but you just get the seven minutes at the Olympics. So that technically made you an Olympian. I wouldn't be the woman that I am today. But if you took away the seven minutes and I got everything else, the experiences I had, the people that I met, the friendships that I created, the, the adversities that I went through, the mountains that I climbed, that is what made me who I am, not just the seven minutes. And that is the cherry on top. And I'm so proud. I will forever be proud of, you know, I wear an Olympic ring. I have an Olympic tattoo. I wear it with such pride, but I also know it's about what the Olympics made me become for myself. And that's who I'm proud of. And I think we have to remember that because if you put your happiness on the if and when I get this thing, insert whatever, you will be walking your entire life wondering when happiness will come. You really have to find the joy on the journey and really have to find the joy in the little moments because that's what counts. She said, do not put your happy on the if or the when. <laughs> But put it on what it is that you are emerging into and becoming in the journey. Ooh, that was good. Mm. I need I need you to talk about that in, in one of your upcoming workshops. Yes. Um, so first of all, before I get into my last couple questions, if you guys have been enjoying this conversation, please do us a favor. Leave some comments. What what has resonated with you so far? Have you shared this this with a friend yet? I don't care if you're listening on on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you're watching on YouTube. Have you shared 
this podcast with somebody who needs to hear about this. Um, so please go ahead and do that. Also, make sure that you subscribe wherever it is that you are watching because we would love your subscription so you never miss a new episode. Now, I've got two questions left, and I'm hoping you don't remember what the last one is. Um, <laughs> or I guess I should say the next one, um, because this is the one that I ask everybody, but I'm hoping that you've, ha- you've been so busy that it has erased from your mind. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So does this sound familiar? Before we get into how they can find you and work with you, because obviously I want to make sure that a whole bunch of people who watch today and are listening today um, have a chance to interact with you and have their life changed by you, because I know that you're capable of it. Before we get there, there's someone else's life that I want you to change. Uh, I want you to imagine that it is 100 years from now. And 100 years from now, there is a museum. Inside of that museum, there are artifacts and relics of this time, this time and culture. And there inside of it is a room marked hope. When you walk into the room, there are time capsules everywhere. And someone goes up to DK's time capsule, and inside of it, there there, um, is your Olympic uniform from Australia, and there's pictures of you speaking to people and guiding women to success and power and all these things, and there's all these incredible, and your books are inside. And then there is a, a small device with a clip. And in the clip, they'll see you in this answer where you explain what hope means to you. What would you tell that person about hope? Mm, that is a great question. I wish I remembered my answer. <laughs> it was a great question the first time as well. And I yeah. couldn't even tell you what you said. So, <laughs> What is hope? Hope is the light and the feeling that is bigger than us in the darkest moments where we don't know how we were going to just take one more step forward. When we don't believe that there's anything else working towards for, when we have those moments where we feel like everything has fallen apart for us, but there's some little whisper of greatness inside of us that believes that we will be okay, that believes that it is possible. And that whisper of greatness is also, it is that feeling of hope. It is that feeling of belief that something greater than us can pull us through this moment and this time. And that feeling of hope is the most blissful, euphoric feeling of love and support than we have ever had in our entire life. And it is absolutely possible and existing in every single one of us. And it is worth fighting for and it is worth inspiring other people to remember. I don't know what you said the first time, but that was real good what you said this time. <laughs> so DK, if, if somebody has just been inspired by you today, um, which I know I have been, I know Jason has been, so I'm quite sure that the listeners have really gotten so much out of this. Somebody wants to work with you. Um, they want to learn more about this uh, this uh, Olympic mindset, right? Uh, they want to learn a little bit about, about the different courses you offer, um, even the retreats that you go on. What Where can a person find out more information about you to, so that they can do some work with you and have their life changed? Absolutely. So the best place to go would be either my website or Instagram. Um, My Instagram is at Danielle Kettlewell, like a kettle and a well with an underscore at the end. Um, The bottom of the screen if they're watching. Yes. And you can either check out the links that I have available of any courses or free workshops. I run free workshops every few months. You know, I, it's really important to me to have things at different levels, at different levels of accessibility. I also have a podcast called the beautiful souls podcast. You can have a listen to, we have, um, incredible motivational insp- uh, um, information there. Um, you can check out any free workshops I'm running. My two core programs are called magnetic, which is about mindset and reclamation, which is about self-worth and my fiance, Luca, and I run retreats in Bali around empowerment. And so if any of this has resonated with you, please either check that out or send me a message um, and see if there's any way that I can support you moving forward or just be in that world, become a friend, become a fan. And um, yeah, let's keep creating hope in this world together. 
Well, DK, please know that that you have a fan in me, if no one uh, else. If and I, me and you, too. <laughs> Seriously. I appreciate that so much. No, I'm getting a chance to have watched you um, over the last couple of weeks and months. It's been really cool. Um, I actually was on, uh, there was a Facebook group that I did where I was always in it, going and, and finding different podcasts to speak in. And I actually saw you in, in the group. And I think you were just in there trying to get booked for something else. I didn't even have a podcast yet. And I kept, a, I took a mental note of you. When I have my podcast, I she will that. be on it. Um, and so thank you so much for just coming and just, just being a light, being so much positivity. And I, I just really wish you nothing but the best. And for everybody who was listening today, I hope that you you don't just say, well, good for her. She did something I could never do because her words spoke the exact opposite of that. <laughs> what she said was, it was unlike me to, for me to accomplish anything that I was meant to accomplish, yet it was also set up for me to do so many of those things. And there was one thing in, in this interview that stuck out to me, and I just have to repeat it. There was a moment where someone else was invited to go somewhere. And if she had said, they only invited her, they didn't invite me, she would have missed her moment. Sometimes the person who needs to give you the invitation to walk into your own greatness is staring at you in the mirror. Don't wait for someone else's invitation for you to find peace, for you to find joy, or for you to find hope. And with that, I thank you all so much for joining us on another episode of Hope Rising. Before we go, I want to give a shout out to Jason uh, of EWT Productions. Would you guys find him online? Uh, Jason is the man who holds down this, this project. And if you have a new podcast you want to launch and you want to get your, your words, your vision, your thoughts out to the world, please either find him at Jason at EWT Productions or find him on social media at J, uh, at EWT Productions. And we'll see you next Monday on another episode of Hope Rising, where the unfulfilled go for fulfillment and the inspiring go for inspiration. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.